welcome to 200 a day the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show the rockford files but also the 90s tv movie franchise the rockford files i'm nathan paletta and I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we are celebrating another podcast milestone of 50 episodes, 5-0, Ow. with, this, uh, with this, this recording, where we will be talking about the third 90s Rockford File TV movie, If the Frame Fits. I would uh, just like to take a moment and just let, if the, people were expecting episode 22 of season 2 of the 80s murder fiction series Murder, She Wrote, <laughs> which has the same title and is what I came across on IMDb by accident when I was looking for it. Uh, also, the original title for this for this episode was Suitable for Framing, which I believe is a Columbo episode. <laughs> it's as if they ran out of frame puns for <laughs> uh, all these detective shows. You know what? I'm gonna, Murder, She Wrote is a detective show. I'm yeah, just gonna say just it. Put it out there. She's a detective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm so brave to speak such <laughs> truths. <laughs> now that the hot takes are out of the way, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we like to to venture into the TV movies uh, every so often. If you have joined us recently, the background on this is just that uh, you know the Rockford Files was very popular uh, after it went off the air. There was a uh, uh, there was a lot of bad blood between uh, James Garner and uh, uh, Universal who was the tv studio right at the time um but the show immediately went into syndication and did very well and at some point uh cbs ended up with the ability to make a new contract or or something yeah they were bitten by a radioactive angel (laughs) and so they contracted um with basically the original production team uh to write and produce uh, a series of movies the the original contract was for like four and then there was an option and they did and they took it so they ended up doing six or maybe it was six and then they did two more for eight there there are eight of them total yeah uh yeah they basically have the same producers uh Juanita Bartlett is in charge overall uh and also uh Charles or Chaz Floyd Johnson, who's been a producer of the entire show. We just don't talk about him much because he never wrote anything as far as, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was really producer, producer. Um, Garner, of course, uh, they brought back a lot of the directors. They brought back a lot of the production staff. And this is all, you know, 20 years later. So all these people have moved on in their careers and in some in some cases came back into their original roles like, you know, being an assistant director or something when, you know, at the time their career has, they're, they're directing their own stuff or whatever. So right. sounded like it was very much a uh, kind of a family affair in terms of getting everyone together. And so this is the third movie. And this is really the f- the real true reunion movie. Oh, yeah. This is the first one that has basically the entire supporting cast from the early 70s all in the movie uh yes we, we're gonna see both uh chapman and deal mm-hmm. and I, I can't recall if that has really occurred before in the series usually one or the other is mm-hmm. harassing dennis for his <laughs> relationship with rockford but not uh, not often both of them right right i think we could do the the forensics to see which if they both appear in any episodes uh deal 
was in the early seasons mm-hmm. and then Chapman kind of came in and then stayed through the later seasons as this the, the lieutenant at the police station who is kind of an antagonist to Rockford and also you know ends up being a, a source of pressure for um, for Dennis Becker and a big fan of um, Lance White right right the last episode that deal was in was in season four and he was only in like six or seven episodes while Chapman was in like 20 episodes. Yeah. And we, so we have seen him more in our show as well. In addition to our, our, uh, lieutenants who have both gotten promotions, of course, we're going to be dealing with Captain Chapman and Commander Deal. Yes. In addition to Lieutenant Dennis Becker, Angel will, will make uh, an appearance here. Uh, and for the first time since the fourth season of the show, Beth. Due to a contract issue, she, uh, Gretchen Corbett was not able to go back into the show after, after the fourth season. And she apparently was not available for the first couple of movies. Um, and so this is the big return, which is, they talk about it in the show, like this. Yeah. Yeah. There's a moment in, in this. Yeah. This movie uses a lot of real world absences as fictional absences uh as this is also after uh noah beery who or barry oh yeah still not sure how to pronounce his last name uh <laughs> you know the the actor who played um rocky he had passed away and that is actually a big plot point in this movie it was mentioned in the second movie i think oh god i can't remember now because i i do vaguely recall the first movie referencing him but not as if he had passed away yet. right he couldn't be in the movies because i think he was like too infirm uh not well at the i think maybe at the end of the second movie they did like a like a in loving memory screen because he passed away kind of around when this one was being shot this was apparently shot as the fourth of the series that they you know they kind of did all as a package but it aired before the third one so this was the fourth one shot the third one to be aired so the next movie also talks about rocky uh passing away because that that was when the timeline synced up. But as we'll see, that is they use that to great effect in this movie mm-hmm. as a pretty significant both plot point and like emotional beat. Do you have any any overall thoughts before we dive in? Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Actually, mm-hmm. this was uh, I I think we've said before I've not seen the movies. So I am watching these for the first time. Right. Same here. Unless I actually saw them in the 90s, which I don't recall. Right. <laughs> like, like there's a chance that that happened. Mm-hmm. I was, in fact, alive at that time. Um, they're a little bit more of a nail biter. Mm-hmm. Anytime uh, a, uh, something comes back after a long absence, you wonder if they've still got it. Like whether it's a band or it's a show or uh, it's the next book in a series or mm-hmm. you know whatever like things have happened in the meantime that may have changed the creative direction of all those involved and i would assume that if you have a lot of people involved like you do in a tv show uh that that takes you in odd directions rather than brings you back to the center mm-hmm. but it felt very much like this one came right back to the center this is uh, Rockford Files episode set in the 90s mm-hmm. with Jim and everyone else being older. Like it, it yeah. just really, really hit it. Yeah, it feels like the Rockford Files. It is of the three movies we've watched so far. And same here. I have not watched any of them. That's kind of one of our fun things as we get to see these things with fresh eyes. This is, 
I think probably the strongest of the three as a yeah. story to me, and also is the one that feels most Rockford E. Um, and we'll talk about all those elements, but it has all what we often call classic Rockford moments, right? Yeah. Um, stuff that just feels like, yeah, that's that's how this is. That's how he is. That's how this world works. Um, it doesn't feel like it's engineered for a 90s audience either. Right. You know, very much so. <laughs> uh, but the, the other thing I wanted to kind of say as an overall thing uh, is I found myself wondering what it would have been like as a Rockford Files fan in the 90s waiting for this show to start Mm -hmm. and watching this show, right? Because this is an experience that I've had. In fact, just before the show started, we were talking about Mm -hmm. watching, uh, no spoilers, Avengers Endgame. Uh, But we've, you know, you and I have read comics for since our youth. And Mm -hmm. there was a point in my life where I looked forward to seeing comic book movies, (laughs) which implies that there's a point in my life where I don't. But uh, (laughs) like where I was like, why can't they do a good Iron Man? I think mm-hmm. an Iron Man would be a good movie. And then that just by accident happens to be their breakout movie that sets mm-hmm. this all into motion. I feel like this would have been one of those very satisfying moments. Mm-hmm. You you watch The Rock Files when it originally aired. Maybe you watch it in syndication. You hear that the new ones are coming out. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you perhaps have seen the other two. But when you tune in for this one, you get, I think, transported back. Still set in the 90s, but you're pulled back to those original uh that original sensation that feeling yeah yeah totally agree that said this is the first one to drop one of our favorite elements which is the answering machine message yes at this point they just they just gave up they were like we can't we can't come up with anything else (laughs) (laughs) we're done and of course, uh, as the TV movie format, uh, it does not have a preview montage. So we really don't know what we're getting into. Well, we do know a little bit of what we're getting into because it has an amazing synth score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this, I think, is the moment that lets you know you're in the 90s. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we talked about this for the first movie because I'm pretty sure this is the same score yeah. uh, from the other movies. And yeah, the the synth uh, aspects of the original score are very, very 90s. <laughs> Not even like early 90s, like late 80s, early 90s to me. No, it, it definitely felt like uh, the 80s trying to predict what the 90s music mm. would be like. <laughs> so it was good. I, I enjoyed it, but it very it felt very much of its time. And actually, for this movie, it feels like it's a holdover from the earlier ones, because this one actually aired in 96. Right. So, like, the first, you know, the one that aired in 94 or whatever, it's like, okay, this seems about right. And now I'm yeah. like, now it sounds like a holdover from the earlier movie. <laughs> so maybe maybe get some of our, our younger listeners in, uh, a context here. This is after Nirvana hit the scene, <laughs> right? Like, this is... If you want to talk musically, uh, where we are at at this point, there's a lot of grunge. There's a lot of alt rock. uh, Mm -hmm. It's not uh, synth. Yeah, new wave synth is not uh, really on trend. Um, uh, Just quickly, this this, uh, movie was written by Juanita Bartlett and directed by Junot Swark. Yes. Who has directed many of... uh, the original uh, series episodes and also he uh, the last movie I think uh, and uh, Juanita Bartlett wrote the first movie I feel like here is really getting back to form <laughs> oh yeah uh, Jano uh, did two into 5.56 won't go and so help me God which we've both done mm-hmm. 
Thanks for listening to 200 Today. We have some news. In addition to this podcast, we're launching Plus Expenses, which is all the stuff we talk about that isn't The Rockford Files. We talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. Plus Expenses is a new feature for our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 day. The main show will remain free to all for as long as we do it, but if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just a dollar an episode. As always, each episode we also extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him at Jim Likes Games on Twitter. Shane Liebling, if you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Kevin Lovecraft, hear him on the RPG Actual Play podcast, the Wednesday evening podcast All-Stars, over at misdirectedmark.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, Dave P., and Brian Pereira. And finally, big thanks, as always, to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter, at Richard Haddam. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, tell a friend who you think would like it, and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. And uh, yeah, but we start off with our synth score over what I think might be the first time we've seen this, which is the nighttime L.A. shot, like this helicopter, uh, this kind of uh, sequence of helicopter shots of L.A. at night. Yeah. So that feels very contemporary, fancy. Credits play as we see this uh, L.A. skyline, all the fancy lights and there's a sports stadium and all this all this lively nightlife going on. But then we start start in right with the action uh, as the camera comes down to Jim's fancy built out trailer. Uh, Yes, it's much more much more of a home at this point in his life. But uh, a number of cop cars are rolling up and in the first of our many classic rockford moments jim is woken up by someone pounding on the door at three o'clock in the morning because this is the first one to have done it uh and we don't know what's going to happen in the next ones i will give them the benefit of the doubt and call this an answering machine gag (laughs) the cops raiding his home to be fair that's the kind of message he would get from an answering (laughs) machine anyways but yes they uh make short work of his door um bunch of cops pour into his place, pull him out of bed, uh, tell him he's under arrest and start reading him his rights as they put him in handcuffs. This whole sequence is, you know, mostly watching this happen. There is one moment when the guy starts reading him his rights where you see Jim's eye, like, give, like, an eye roll. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's, throughout this episode, um, Garner's on it. Like, he is, his expressions throughout it are... I, I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're talking. <laughs> there's <laughs> like something, and I think it might literally be the haircut, but there's something about him that seemed more like the 70s Jim Rockford in this movie than in the last two movies. Yeah. And I think it might be because in those, like his hair was a little longer, actually, and or something. I don't know. In this yeah. one, he just looks like a slightly older version. Not, not even that much older version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of himself. Um, and that's part of it, too. At the police station, uh, Jim is marched right in to confront our Captain Chapman, who also looks like, yeah. just looks like someone has done some old age makeup on James Luisi. Like he's, it's all the mannerisms, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's the way that he talks, the way that his head kind of moves and like everything. You're like, okay, yeah, here's Chappie. <laughs> so through this whole sequence, 
right? Jim doesn't know what, why he's been arrested. Oh, I, I love this gag. This, uh, well, I mean, like this whole bit where everyone has something to say. Hmm. Jim, Jim's complaining about things. Uh, Chapman's complaining about Jim. <laughs> Jim's thing is like, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm going to sue the department for false yeah. arrest and, you know, damage and all this stuff. I didn't do anything. Chapman has a line, you never commit any crimes, but you always end up at the booking desk. <laughs> uh, but they go into Commander Deal's office. Uh, so he is the most uh, senior official here. Um, the Deal-Chapman dynamic oh, is great yeah. because <laughs> as we know from you know previous shows, Chapman is always... He has it out for Rockford, but he's always trying to get in good with his boss. Yeah. Right. Whoever his boss happens to be. And when his boss will not like just won't give him any like will not yeah. swallow what he's, uh, you know, trying to, to, to lay down. Those are the best because Chapman gets like status dropped. Right. Uh, and it's fantastic. There, there's a thing in uh, the Rockford files where you can. You could almost, this is this is me game designing the Rockford Files, okay? Uh, you could almost lay out a map of who has been put upon mm-hmm. and also who feels put upon but isn't, you know, like, because, uh, spoilers, Angel's in this episode. And uh, Angel is put upon in a different way than, say, Rockford is or whatever. But I don't think anyone has ever been so exasperated by all the people around him <laughs> the deal is in this scene and he's just calmly going through it you could tell he wants to say something that will set everything straight but he's letting people say the things that they're saying first mm-hmm. uh and it's great it's great yeah, yeah. and everyone's cranky because it's early in the morning mm. But we should also talk about Dennis in the window. They're in the Commander Deal's office. Jim's listing off all the things he's going to sue the department for. <laughs> and we see Dennis in street clothes and his yes. you know, civvies looking through the window because it's like an enclosed office with these big windows. Uh, Deal goes over and closes the blinds. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fantastic. And then Jim uh, asks if he can get some coffee. And when he goes over to the coffee machine, that window doesn't have blinds and he can and Dennis is there. Yeah. And then they do all these like hand motions through the glass trying to communicate. It's it's really hard to talk about. Okay, so this is one of the reasons why I really enjoyed this episode is that there is many layers going on at once, because while this is happening, there's the setup for a continuing coffee gag. Right. Throughout the episode, because. Jim has been talking about how he's going to sue and how he's been mistreated. And he and he asks if he can get some coffee and deals like, if you want something else to complain about. Right. <laughs> Which is unimportant to anything, but it's just wonderful because... Yeah, it starts a... a, a yeah, like you said, it starts a gag uh, yeah. that we will be coming back to. Um, Deal sees Becker and kind of and goes out to confront him and Deal's asking him why he's there. You know, there's some good gags. I work here, right? Uh, (laughs) But he's not like on duty, right? He just came by because he heard about the arrest. This is getting us going with the whole Dennis, Jim, Chapman triangle, right? (laughs) The devil's triangle. (laughs) The devil's triangle. (laughs) Deal knows that he's friends with Jim, right? Yeah. He's in fact in his known associates file. Which is uh, bad news for Dennis. Yeah, Dennis is upset about that. But he uh, tells him to come in. Maybe Jim will relax if someone he knows is in there. 
which is a nice little subtle thing for fans of the show, because I think it, it shows us that Deal has not been around, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Deal knows that he's in the file, but unlike Chapman, yeah, Chapman would know that bringing Becker in is not going to put Jim at ease, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been at least 20 years. Like, give, give Deal a break. We find out that, you know, the sergeant at the desk called Dennis when Jim got yeah. brought in because everyone knows their friends. So everyone's in there now. Uh, still no one's told Jim what he's been arrested for. And so Deal starts asking him some questions, specifically about the bad blood between Jim Rockford and another PI by the name of Bud Mockton. Uh, Jim says, oh, there's no bad blood. But Deal has a picture from the... Uh, from last year's Goodhue Awards, <laughs> which is a callback to the second Lance White episode, yes, um, where there's this PI award ceremony that Jim uh, never wins. Uh, but there's apparently he had an altercation at the Goodhues, and there's a picture in the paper of I think it's of Jim punching this other guy across yeah. the face, right? With a nasty left. Oh, yeah. it's good. It's good. So Jim's like said he has bad blood with me. <laughs> He's always starting things with me. He accuses me of stealing his clients. I forget what the setup is. I think it's like, why did you go over to his place or something like that? Right. And we get into a sequence of some flashbacks interspersed with some additional questions to bring us up to speed. In our first flashback, we see the Firebird. Uh, Apparently, it has been fully restored from things that have happened (laughs) to it over the last couple movies. Oh, before we go into the flashback, there are a couple choice moments of dialogue uh, between Jim and Dennis. First of all, just watch Jim when he drinks the coffee. Mm-hmm. That's important. It is not good coffee. <laughs> it is not good coffee. Um, that is that is an acting class in and of itself, mm-hmm. how to drink bad coffee. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the exact moment in all of this tangled mess of things. I think it's once Dennis is in the room, but there's still enough chaos that he can talk to Rockford. Yeah. He has this line where he says, I can feel my career hitting the do not resuscitate <laughs> wall. Yeah. I got a call in the middle of the night saying that they're bringing you in and I, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't remember Dennis's actual line, but Jim's response to it is, what a shame. I got to sleep in till three. <laughs> Just- <laughs> there are so many great, I mean, I noted other ones, like there are so many great lines in here that we will probably bore you all to tears with going over, <laughs> but they're so good. Um, the joy of this is seeing a lot of the physical uh, acting yeah. Watching everyone interact with each other. If you have a choice of the first three movies, watch this one, I think, yeah. is like my, would be my takeaway. But uh, yes, so this flashback, we see the Firebird. Uh, Jim is playing catch up on his paperwork, which means that he has a big pile of past due bills on his on his table. He's actually on the phone with someone trying to explain how, sure, he's a couple weeks behind, but there's other people that he's a month behind. So, you know, this particular creditor doesn't have it so bad. Yes. <laughs> but he's on the phone while there's another knock on his door. And it's a, a very high energy woman um, talking a mile a minute, just, just narrating out loud all of her thoughts and feelings. <laughs> Oh, it's a good idea having a kitchen. That way you don't have to go out to lunch, maybe miss a client. You could offer someone a cup of coffee. Oh, would you care? Oh, not for me, thank you. I try to limit my caffeine. Probably a good idea. Yeah, uh, she felt like a stage character. Mm-hmm. From a farce. Yeah, exactly. Um, not to spoil anything, but that's intentional. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, oh, this is a little over the top, turns out. Yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. I'd also note that uh, very prominently we see the cookie jar on his otherwise clean counter in his kitchen, which is a wonderful touch. And is also 
foreshadowing. Yes, Chekhov's cookie jar. <laughs> Once Jim gets her calmed down, uh, he finds out that a family friend recommended him to her because he's very discreet. And this is someone that has hired him in the past. And like, so he, he does know what she's talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, that's a legit reference. She says that her name is Linda Gustavo or Mrs. Hector Gustavo. Yes. She thinks that her, she knows that her husband's having an affair, but she wants proof before she, you know, I don't know, divorces him or takes him to court. I don't, it's vague. She wants yeah. proof, right? Jim, as we know from our last couple of episodes of this show, does not take domestic cases. Yes. <laughs> Oof. And for good reason. Right. But Linda just keeps counting out $100 bills oh. onto the onto that coffee table. She starts with hundreds and she moves on to 50s, which is a nice realistic touch, <laughs> like, which is... She's paying him a week in advance. Mm -hmm. You know me. I got eyes on the money here. Right. I'm trying to figure out what's happening. I'm assuming it's 200 a day still. Seems a little bit like Jim would be behind the times at that point. There's a line from one of the earlier movies where it was like, he should be charging 350 by now or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a little vague about whether what his actual, because like, she just says, I know what your rate is and starts counting out hundreds. Yes. <laughs> Every time we do an episode, I open up a browser window with an inflation count, uh, <laughs> calculator. Uh, so 200 a day from 1976 to 1996, right? Mm -hmm. 200 a day in 1976 is about $550 a day. In 1996. So, uh, come on, Jim. Right. So he needs, <laughs> like, to, he needs to be raising that rate is what you're yeah. telling me. If it's still 200 days, she drops a cool grand right away on mm. the table, right? Like this is a week's worth, uh, presuming five days. Uh, and then she just starts flopping money on top of that. I cannot keep an eye <laughs> on how much money this is. And watching Jim watch that money come out... <laughs> And he says a couple times, you really don't know how hard you're making this mm -hmm. for me. He says that he he's never broken his promise to himself not to take a domestic case, which I don't know if that's 100% true. I was wondering about that, too, but I'm going to take it as given right, right now. But like sometimes he takes cases that, as with uh, Gandhi, as we learned, turn into domestic cases. Yeah. Well, I, it depends on what's a domestic case. I'm assuming right. domestic cases when people are cheating on people and not. Like, because I think he's done ones that are like, we've got this money and we need to find my ex-wife to give that money to or, you know. Like the insurance cases, like the one yeah. uh, where he flies to Europe and then comes yeah, back that, and it's like an insurance fraud case. But there is, it is a domestic situation. Yeah. But the case is about the insurance, right? <laughs> so he's like, nothing as juicy as that. I want something. I want insurance. <laughs> I want bureaucracy. <laughs> uh, which is kind of an interesting, just as we're talking about it, it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, global thing about the show is that he doesn't. I mean, sometimes the cases turn up revolving around relationships, right? right? But he doesn't really take, as he says, domestic cases where it's like, I need proof that this person's cheating on me or whatever. Right. I wonder how much of that is to differentiate him from other PIs and also how much of that is to not have to put that on TV, right? Yeah. How many, you know, how many episodes uh, do they really want to have of like taking pictures of unfaithful spouses? Right, you know, right. Is that good TV? Yeah, because it, it definitely, especially around the time when it originally aired, that was considered very seedy work, mm -hmm. you know, 
photographing people, uh, which now is considered um, part of your everyday life. Everyone <laughs> photographs everyone else. That's what we do. That's how we interact as human beings in this <laughs> hellscape of a, of a world. But um, like one of the big draws to the series to me, and I can't really explain it other than is the idea that between episodes, the work that Jim is doing is so boring. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he just... has a line in this movie later where he says, like, if this was what my job was all the time, I'd be dead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Like, we're really only seeing the really exciting cases in our, yeah. Jim's workload, which is kind of which is a fun uh, pattern. Um, we end the scene with him saying it's not his kind of case. And then we cut back to the ongoing interview uh, <laughs> where Deal yells out the door. Can we get some decent coffee in here? And there's a joke in the cut, right? And then the joke coming back yeah. from Deal is Jim then goes into how he went about taking the case. And when somebody was like, that's not your kind of case. I think uh, somebody in that scene says that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it might have been Dennis because I don't I can't imagine Chapman. No, because Chapman specifically thinks that's his kind of case. Right. Yes. As we yeah, we come back with the with the joke of him saying like, so what I did was right. Yes. <laughs> describes what he did. So he he took a job at uh, Gustavo's company, which is a recording studio, uh, uh, you know, record record studio where he, he wrote himself some letters of recommendation and got all of the proper credentials to get him exactly the job he wanted, uh, being <laughs> a, a custodian uh, or a janitor of some kind. He's unseen. He's unseen. No one pays attention to him. Hide in plain sight. And he says that the that brought him into contact with this guy, Bud, because Bud was working at this company as a security like consultant or whatever. And Bud, when he recognized Rockford, thought that Rockford was trying to steal his client. Yes. Uh, and then we go into another flashback at the studio with Jim in his disguise as he's uh, going in cleaning, cleaning out the cleaning up the office of um, Gustavo as he's chewing out some poor writer for not providing good words for the Latin beat that he thinks is going to be the new sound of the 90s. This whole Latin thing is going to explode. It's going to go mainstream like it was in the 40s. So Jim is a fly on the wall while this guy Gustavo's talking to this doesn't matter guy yelling at him and his secretary's in there. They transition into uh, saying that it's time to go to lunch and uh, she makes some hay about how they always go to Rex's for lunch. Yes. Always go to Rex's every single day. Like other people have lunch meetings or they, they pay experts to find ways to make them not vulnerable like this. Like it's it's specifically like, mm, yeah, uh, about how other executives are paranoid enough not to go to the same place all the time. There is enough made of that that I was like, note for later. This guy goes to the same place for lunch every day. Yeah, <laughs> that is emphasized in the dialogue. After they leave and uh, Gustavo tells him to make sure to clean clean the baseboards because the last guy left him filthy. Um, Jim pokes around and finds some aerial photographs of some yeah. kind of some kind of terrain. Looks very weird in context of this uh, record producer, right? In my notes, I was like, uh-oh, how big is this? Like, he's pulled out of his bed in the middle of the night by an army of cops. And I'm like, okay, that's a bit much. Hmm. And then uh, nobody's telling him anything, and it's about another PI. Like at this point, we know that other PI is dead, right? We know because we read the synopsis of the, <laughs> like the synopsis <laughs> of the of the movie is yeah yeah when a fellow PI is killed, Jim right. is framed for the murder. <laughs> yeah, it's called if the frame fits. Like yeah. we know he's he's getting framed up for something. 
But it seems a little over the top for all of that. And then I see aerial photos and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. There's something going on here. There's a signifier that something perhaps international is Mm. happening right now. (laughs) Jim leaves the office and runs into Bud, uh, who recognizes him. Yes. They exchange some words. Uh, he asks Bud what he's, you know, what he's been snooping on. He knows that it's his M.O. to bug everything and uh, calls him stupid and predictable. One of them swing. I forget who. I think maybe it's Bud like swings at him. Yeah. And then we cut to seeing the security from the same angle, seeing yeah. the security camera footage of the two of them fighting on the TV in Deal's office. <laughs> Seems like bad blood to us. And uh, Jim has a line. What's to like? He's a tree with lips. <laughs> so that's that hasn't changed in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> but then the response is, he's also dead. So this is when they introduce that he's been killed. Um, they ask him why he went over to Bud's place, because they have a security camera image from his office of Jim going into the front door, right? Yeah. And Jim says that he called him. Uh, he wanted to meet Rockford and talk to him about something. Jim went in. He wasn't there. So Jim left. And they say that, well, Bud was shot and they found the body after, you know, Jim went in. And they don't know when Jim left because there's no footage of that. This is when Jim asked Dennis to call Beth. Dun, dun. Yes. The way that this is all staged is really kind of interesting. So he's like, call Beth. And Dennis doesn't know Beth's number like right off yeah. the top of his head. So he picks up the phone in Deal's office and is talking to the operator. You know, Van Sant, because that's her married because she got married, that's her married name. Yeah. Might be under Davenport, that's her maiden name, but it might be listed under her husband, and this is his yeah. name. Like <laughs> it might be in this place or this place or Pasadena. There's a couple things like before he says Beth, he says, Call my lawyer, and there's he's like, Your ex wife? Oh right. And he's like, No, Beth. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen the previous two Mm-hmm. episode so we know that there's yeah in the first movie his yeah. ex-wife is also a lawyer and comes in yeah and it felt very much like well we couldn't get gretchen mm-hmm. so here's a beth substitute no i don't want to because i think they did well by by creating a character that was separate from beth and still like and they wanted to make a point of they both had their own lives because beth yeah. is married and they talk about how she had this best-selling book and yeah. then Jim married this woman and then they didn't end up working out and they got divorced or whatever. Yeah. So at first, Dennis isn't willing to go to the <laughs> Beth answer and then it's the Beth answer. And then this whole back and forth between Dennis and Jim as they're trying to figure out how to get a hold of her. You get the feeling that Jim just knows her number. Right. <laughs> and Dennis is like, I, I mean, I'll go through the motions, but every moment it's Jim that's giving him the next bit of information. Right. Oh, the listing might be under her husband's name. Uh, Roger. Roger Van Sant. Yeah, you could try Beverly Hills, Brentwood, Bel Air, Homeby. Pasadena. Pasadena even. Yeah, awful. Oh. Come on, Jim. Just <laughs> admit that you know you know how to get in touch with her, right? Like it, it's almost like Jim's in trouble. He needs Beth, but he also is afraid to admit that he's kept up with her, sure. right? In yeah. some way. And then while Becker is on this phone, he's also getting glared at by Deal because they're trying to get find out what kind of gun Jim has. 
right? Because <laughs> so, Bud was shot. And Becker is the one who keeps dropping all the information, like, in front of Jim. Oh, and it's mumbling and whispering. He's so cowled. What? Yeah, what caliber of gun do you have? He's like, 38. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you keep it? Cookie jar. <laughs> in the cookie jar, sir. <laughs> uh, so... They're going to go back and look for this gun because uh, they have motive. They have opportunity. They just need to pick up the murder weapon. Jim is uh, mad at Dennis, of course, for throwing him under the bus with about the gun, I guess. His justification here, right, is that, like, he needs to do something to stay stay in good or he's going to yeah. go down with Jim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is when uh, Beth makes her appearance. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, the first thing that is important for them to talk about is her haircut. Yes. (laughs) So a lot of, so this is all great. Jim, Beth, Becker on the outside, back and forth, sarcastic, but with affection banter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the, the exposition here is it's been four years since she published her book, became a bestseller, 19 months on the bestseller list. Jim never even like never even called her after she gave him the book to read or whatever. So they haven't spoken in four years. Uh, She hasn't practiced law in years because she writes now. Yeah, that book was a bestseller. And the second one sold even better. Mm -hmm. This is she's got a good new profession for her. He doesn't really like her hair. So she has very curly hair. Yeah. So uh, Gretchen Corbett, that's her natural hair. She straightened it in the 70s. (laughs) As it turns out, so did Beth. It's funny how life imitates art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or the other, I don't know, one of those ways. I did not recognize her. I don't want to, like, because we've been talking about how the other folks have aged and some have aged better than others, like uh, poor Dennis. (laughs) Dennis definitely aged in those 20 years. Uh, she actually didn't age. She just looks different. That's all. Like, it, I think it is the hair mm-hmm. almost entirely. But yeah. Underneath this thing about the, her haircut, right, is you can see kind of this resentment of you're going to call me in the middle of the night, get me out here for something I don't even do anymore. And then you're going to give me crap about my hair. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> she does have that like rejoinder where she's like, I don't like your hair either. Yeah. And she's like, why did you call me? I don't practice law anymore. And he says he needs her help. He needs her expertise uh, to, to carry him through a couple of months, which I think means like I I need some kind of living situation. <laughs> yeah. Because I want to pursue this countersuit or this suit against the, you know, against the cops. Dennis, the whole time, is trying to corral them into an office. <laughs> It'll be a little more private. Yeah. We can talk <laughs> privately. And more and more, like, desk cops are, are just kind of popping yeah. into the shot and watching them as they're uh, having this argument. Beth says that it'll be a polar day in hell before she helps him again. And she (laughs) storms out. Good work, Jim. Yes. And of course, we know that she's going to help him again. (laughs) Both Beth and Jim can't resist helping people, even though they say they won't. And then uh, in a surprising turn of events, Becker says that Jim can go. Yeah. uh, They looked for the gun. They didn't find it. I, I love this line. They looked in the cookie jar, they found Oreos. Did they look under the Oreos? These are trained police officers. Of course they looked under the Oreos. <laughs> Out of context, Rockford Files. Perfect. Love it. Um, Jim is not pleased to hear that his gun is not where he thought it was. Yes. It is uh, the next day. He's getting his door fixed. Uh, <laughs> the guy does not need his help to hang it right. Just let him do his job. While he's, uh, you know, awaiting this uh, this fix, 
he receives a visit from a uh, a woman by the name of Jess Wilden. Uh, he knows who she is because she's an IRS yes. agent. Nobody forgets the IRS, Miss Wilding. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she apparently audited him at some point. I checked because I was like, oh, is this the character from uh, our, our last episode that has the... the bank adjuster yeah i was thinking the same thing and i checked and it is it is not uh it is neither the actress nor the uh character they they did a real good job of making us feel like this is a character that has always been in jim's life yeah. <laughs> since whatever that moment is and of course over the course of 20 years there's going to be more people in jim's life than we know of mm-hmm. right but um yeah, I did the same thing. I did a lot of searching to be like, where the <laughs> hell is she from? She was very close with Rocky. Yes. And this is where we, where they directly address yeah. uh, that he's passed away. She was in Europe uh, when he actually died, so she couldn't come to the funeral. She got him a cuckoo clock because she thought she, he would like it. Um, so Jess talks about how close she was to Rocky, and Jim did not know that she had this relationship with his dad. Yeah. Um, that comes out here. And then I think we play it out in some of the subsequent scenes with more details, but this kind of surprises him and kind of weirds him out because he starts to think that they had a romantic relationship. There's a, okay. So there's a bunch here. There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. So one of the wonderful things that is entirely Rocky is that it turns out she came to audit Jim and then Rocky took her out to dinner because she earned it after a hard day's work. Right. And I got to tell you, <laughs> I cannot think of a more Rocky thing to have happened. Um, and then like there's all these moments where Jim and her, she's trying to tell Jim that Rocky didn't exist in a vacuum, I think is an, uh, mm-hmm. a paraphrase there. Uh, I'm remembering. Uh, Are you thinking of uh, uh, Gear Jammers? Where Gear we, Jammers, yes. Where we find out about Rocky's like hidden girlfriend that Jim had no idea about. His extended life where he follows Rocky around and it's, it's Jim like literally says Rocky was not a secretive man. And I'm like, Jim, <laughs> Rocky kept secrets from you. He really did. Uh, I mean, it's not an ongoing thing. It's not like, uh, but that one episode clearly established that Rocky didn't share the women in his life with Jim right. for whatever reason. It's not, there's nothing sinister about what's happening or any of these secrets. It's just that Jim being the private investigator that he is never bothered to investigate his dad, <laughs> except in that one moment. Uh, the, the end result here is that, uh, she wants to visit Rocky's grave and that's, yes. if, you know, she can, if Jim would go with her. Um, so we go to this very touching scene where there's just, this is, this is standing in right for, I'm sure what every, everyone there what felt yeah. about about Noah Beery, right? About yeah, the actor. Because yeah. it sounds like, you know, he's a great guy, really, you know, fatherly in his relationships with all his younger cast members and all this stuff. So yeah. uh, there's some real, like, emotional truth to visiting his grave and talking about his life and what he would have liked and all that kind of stuff, which is really nice. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, they, as they kind of wander, uh, wander away from the actual site, they continue this conversation about about Rocky and, and Jess and their relationship. And Jim's getting a little defensive 
Yeah. Or she says it's something like, I would know when you were visiting him because he would call me and tell me not to come over. Right. And then he's like, oh, he would call me sometimes and tell me not to come over. I guess that's <laughs> when you were visiting. Right. And so yeah. that doesn't he doesn't really like that. And Jim says Rocky was an open book and just says, well, you missed some chapters. <laughs> yes. So they start arguing. They, they end with one of those like she said, you're nothing like Rocky. And he's like, you're nothing like Rocky, too. And then they both crack up, right? <laughs> it's a, a, a classic uh, good moment. Uh, and Jim offers his hand and says, let's have a fresh start. I don't need to be mad about this. They leave in the Firebird being followed by a fancy red car. Oh, and my notes are, you're being followed. And then immediately, <laughs> I'm, we're being followed. Yes. <laughs> what are you going to do? Lose him. And so Jim peels out and we get into a uh, into a into a car chase. Yes, this is a pretty I mean, this is a pretty fun little chase. Uh, It's mostly like swerving through other cars on these, you know, busy streets. The big maneuver is Jim manages gets on one side of a of like a semi that has a bunch of cars on it so he can see yeah. through to see the other side. And the chase car is on the other side. And then he finds a moment to slam on the brakes and it's kind of a J turn. It's a little too yeah. high acceleration to be like a true <laughs> J turn, but he manages to slam on the brakes and swerve and start heading the other way while the other car can't uh, quite get in his way. My notes on this, I, I mentioned that because uh, that's a great moment. Um, there's a moment just before that, I think, where we see the woman from the beginning who <laughs> Right. sets this whole thing off on a payphone. She's calling in reckless driving. Yes, almost hit her. And it's so clear that she was waiting there to make that call. Yes. I was like, ah, now there's the frame. Mm-hmm. And then finally, watching him on either side of the semi, I <laughs> wrote down the fast and the curious. <laughs> When they reboot the Rockford Files, mm-hmm. that's the episode I'm writing. Like when you first see it in the shot, I was like, oh, is he going to drive up onto it? Because that would be, right, like, yeah. you know, a classic maneuver. I was expecting something along those lines, but it turned out to be a much more Rockford style. Mm-hmm. Just uses it for cover. Um, yeah. So the important thing here, yeah, is this being called into the cops as this reckless driving thing by, by quote, Linda. Uh, Jim thinks he's lost them, uh, drives through a gas station, like parking lot. And again, a very classic Rockford car chase move and goes through like, uh, the waxing cycle (laughs) of a car wash. But I guess the other guy had his number and pulls around in front of him and blocks him from leaving. Of course it is, uh, Mr. Gustavo who gets out (laughs) of his fancy car. Jim's like, why are you following me? And Gustavo says, cause you've been following me. (laughs) Um, He wants to know why this guy, uh, you know, why Jim came into his company under false pretenses and why he's been following Gustavo and like what he's up to. And uh, why he killed an employee of his. Yes. Uh, One of the wonderful things about this confrontation is how bloodthirsty Jess is. She jumps out of the car and she's like, hit him, Jim, hit him, just hit him. (laughs) Yeah, they're struggling. Jim like or uh, uh, Gustavo takes a swing and Jim grabs his arm and then they're just kind of like struggling around and shuffling around trying to get the upper hand. Uh, I think this is a great thing about her character. She puts herself in the way of all of the danger. Mm -hmm. She's probably looking for excitement here, right? Like, and Mm -hmm. um, it sets it up for further down when they do that song and dance where Jim's like, this is too dangerous. You shouldn't be here. And she says, well, I have this. So you have to let me, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, This is a, a good setup for it because it's her like, 
you know, finding what's happening thrilling. This is exciting stuff. Yeah. For her. This is why she joined the IRS. <laughs> this is when the cops show up. We have back and forth of, <laughs> yes. I was following him because he was following me. And Jim says, well, that actually makes sense. Yes. The cop asks Gustavo, are you all right? And Jim's like, why don't you ask me if I'm all right? Yeah. The cop's like, are you all right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm all right. Like, just has these very reasonable responses to everything. He wants to press assault charges. Jess is a witness that he's, you know, he threw the first punch. Gustavo kind of backs down a little bit, but then explains to the cop, he got arrested for the murder of one of my employees and all this stuff. Name drops Chapman, nice. doesn't he? He says, like, Chapman's been trying to put him away for years. <laughs> like, okay. He thought he was in danger because he could have a gun. Right. So the cop's like, okay, pats him down and then checks the car. And sure enough, Jim's gun is in the trunk of the Firebird. Jim's expression when they find that gun is one of resignation. <laughs> like, it's hard to explain. Of like, of course. Yeah, of course. Okay. that I'm bound up now. You know, it's not that like, oh, they caught me. It's just, mm -hmm. uh, all right. This is what I got to deal with now. So our next sequence is back at the at the station, of course. There's a lot of fun business in this scene that I'm going to kind of skip over because uh, it's mostly visual and mostly just gags. There's there's an older woman who's sitting there waiting waiting to confess and it yes. freaks out Beth. <laughs> but it turns out she's a regular and everyone who passes by is like, oh, hey, how's it going? We'll be right with you. Yeah, her name is Sally. Uh, she's such a regular that Dennis knows how many sugars she takes in her coffee. Yeah, get her a coffee with two sugars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is getting everyone into uh, Deal's office. Uh, Becker's been in Deal's office a lot lately. Seems like uh, he might be in trouble. This might be my favorite Chapman Deal bit. So everyone's in Deal's office, including Chapman. Deal comes in and says, have you taken everyone's statement? And Chapman says, oh, no, I was waiting for you. <laughs> Trying to like suck up and Deal clearly would rather he had just gotten yeah. all the paperwork done. Yeah. Uh, oh, so good. I do want to mention just a teeny little bit. And this only comes up uh, once more, I think, in the episode. But we see McCool, who oh. got the promotion over Dennis in uh, the first of the movies, just delighting in the fact that Dennis has been in Deal's office. Yeah. <laughs> or Chapman or whatever. Like, just like, I think he's in trouble. Um, so Gustavo wants to know who hired Jim. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim's not going to tell him because that's privileged information. But Chapman says, your wife hired him. And <laughs> this is the most angry that Jim gets yes. in like the entire episode. He's being framed for murder. Some other stuff's going to go down. But this moment here where Chapman blurts out yeah. who hired him, that, that is infringing on his... Unconscionable. Unconscionable, yeah. yeah. But of course, dun dun dun, Gustavo says, I don't have a wife. I've never <laughs> been married. Happy... I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the information superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games... Maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com, where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the Worldwide Wrestling, Pro Wrestling role-playing game. 
among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Mm. All right, well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show then. All right, she claimed to be your wife. She really overpaid me. Yeah. <laughs> this must be a setup. And uh, this is where we start getting uh, Jim's aspirin uh, bit. The setup of the aspirin gag. Throughout this whole thing, Jim keeps asking everyone for aspirin. Everyone's like, there's no aspirin. And Jill's like, nobody in here has aspirin. Stop asking. Jim and Becker are going back to uh, find Beth. Um, and there's this weird... <laughs> yeah, is Becker all right? <laughs> Jim asks him for an aspirin again, and Becker looks at him and just stops, and there's a beat, and then he says, You know that bees can die of loneliness? Well, they can. You know bees can die of loneliness? I wrote that one down, and I kept expecting some payoff or something, (laughs) and I'm like, oh my god, what is happening with Dennis here? Like, this is... A moment that you can hang an entire alternate theory of the episode on, right? Like you could just be like, Dennis is so alone right now. What what is going on? Like if this whole story was being told from Becker's perspective, yeah. It would probably be just as interesting. It would just be like it would be him standing there, staring into the window where Rockford's being interrogated right. in the beginning. That thing where he doesn't move and everyone around him is moving super fast. <laughs> He's just here. Uh, what's his name? Werner Herzog's voice. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> That's not his voice. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was just out of the blue and just perfect. Yeah. Like, I mean, Dennis is like, well, they can, and that's it. Like, I'm just trying to be interesting here. It's so weird. And so, yeah, it's just so good. Like, it may, it, it, it just works. It's so funny. Um, Beth has been waiting in Becker's office. Uh, she settled right in, making revisions on her latest book while she's been waiting. She came back. She couldn't just leave him in trouble. <laughs> Aw, Beth. That is our Beth. She asks him if uh, he made a statement. He said he did. Deal took your statement without counsel being present. And she storms out. This is after he's asked her for aspirin and she says she doesn't have any. Uh, and he has a line about, this time seems to be a gaslight and I'm playing the Ingrid Bergman role. I was like, aha. Uh-huh. Because uh, that's referring to... The film from which we get the term gaslighting. People yeah. are telling him things that don't seem to be true, and he feels like he's going crazy. Yes, exactly. So Beth goes to yell at Deal, I guess, and Jim dumps out her purse, saying that, you know, she said she thought she didn't have aspirin, but you know, women always have so much stuff in their purses. <laughs> he finds a little unlabeled pillbox. Uh, Dennis is like, don't take those. You don't know what those are. But Jim <laughs> will hear none of it. Take something out of the box. Then Beth comes back, says that uh, Gustavo is not going to file assault charges if Jim agrees to get psychiatric help. Becker says, go for it. <laughs> we we get the payoff for the gag. He says, I took some aspirin. I don't have any aspirin. Well, what's it? Right. You know, what are these? That might help you with water retention because those are for PMS. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, it, it's not the best gag in the entire series. The coffee stuff get, is better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kept waiting for it to pay off in another way later on. Mm-hmm. It makes another reference to it, but it's not not quite there yet. All right, so Jim uh, has another confrontation with Chapman. Book me or let me go. 
And Chapman says, fine, I'm going to book you. They're like, what? Uh, <laughs> they got the lab report back, and that 38 that was in his trunk is the murder weapon. Yeah. Uh, I forget how this transitions, but basically he's like, okay, so he's going to stay there because he's getting arrested. So he asks right. Dennis to take Jess home because Jess has been, came with him to the station, I guess, because they were in the same car, right? Um, I think while he's at, as he's asking him to do that, forget how the dialogue goes, but basically he's like, do you think that when she says she was Rocky's friend? Yes. Is that a euphemism or? Yeah. Dennis is clearly uncomfortable with this line of questioning. Uh, my notes just, it's a whole thing. Like, they have yeah. a thing about this. But it is making it clear to us that Jim is, uh, he's not comfortable with the idea that Jess, who's who's his, his age, right? Or a little, yeah. maybe a little younger, um, would have been in a sexual relationship with Rocky. And I think it's Dennis who thinks Rocky and her had a relationship, right? Like, I think Dennis is like, well, isn't that what you mean by friends? Like, yeah. Uh, showing that Dennis doesn't have a good handle on how to be friends with women that he's not married to. <laughs> like, yeah, what other relationship could a man and a woman have? Yeah, exactly. So after that kind of confusing scene, um, we have the the most solid, yeah, this is a Rockford <laughs> moment. The uh, a pair of FBI agents show up to take Jim out of Chapman's custody. Mm -hmm. He's their prisoner now. And we get to see Chapman being very territorial about, no, I arrested Jim. He's mine. Mm -hmm. uh, the jurisdictional clash, right? The, bu the right. bureaucratic uh, tension there, again, is one of the uh, core Rockford-y dynamics. And there's a good uh, it's status thing going on here because... Yeah, Jim is fronting when, when he deals with Chapman, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he walks right into it. He's like, you know, arrest me or let me go. And Chapman's like, all right, I'll arrest you. You insisted. Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. He's a little taken aback by the fact that, you know, whatever. But he still is like, these local guys, I've dealt with them for my entire life. I, mm -hmm. You know, I've got a good team. I can deal with them or whatever. The FBI comes to take him away. And he is bad. <laughs> bad. Bad. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Well, we go to uh, the good old federal building where we see Jim strapped in for a polygraph. You know, you, you and I as informed media consumers know that the lie detector is not admissible in court. It's horse. Yeah, <laughs> it is not really uh, effective or meaningful. But what it actually does in the scene is make for a lot of good jokes because they have to phrase things as yes or no questions. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually this very intentional choice that makes this a very fun scene. I thought that that was a really well chosen yeah. uh, bit. You know, it's an improv game, right? Because mm -hmm. every question that they offer him, he answers with a question. Mm -hmm. He can't answer yes or no. He's just like, wait, I, I don't remember the exact questions, but they were like, did you know, bud? Uh, why should I know him? Or what does he have to do with this or something like that? <laughs> why does the FBI care about him? <laughs> yeah. And we see that Jim is like reclaiming mm -hmm. some like power by not cooperating until he's like, OK, OK, OK. And then he gives like a yes or no answer. And then we go through the thing again. So it builds up through a bunch of yes answers, and then there's a no answer, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. yes, he knew Bud. Yes, uh, he received a phone call from him on that night. Uh, yes, he said he had info to sell. 
And he's like, oh, what? Did you have his phone tapped? He's like, just answer the questions, yes or no. <laughs> Did you go to see him? Yes. Did you purchase the info? No. And they're like, what? Right, yeah. <laughs> Their whole case falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, god damn it. Yeah, because he wasn't home. So um, uh, Millard is this is the FBI agent. Millard is clearly crestfallen. And apparently the polygraph test does not lie. So when he says no, he's like, oh, that's not what we wanted. So uh, he seems to be at loose ends and Jim asks, can I go now? And Miller says, yeah, back to jail. So we uh, we go. We're in a car. Jim is handcuffed to Millard in the back of the car. That's important. <laughs> and then as they pass under a, like under an overpass, uh, a car with a bunch of goons sideswipes them off the road and they both go fishtailing on, into like a lawn and then uh, a bunch of both visually and then as they start talking, you know, with accents, uh, coded Latino guys mm-hmm. with guns pour out of this kind of beat up car, have guns on everyone and they want Rockford. Um, and then there's a bit where they try to get in. They're like out of the car, out of the car, but they can't get out of opposite sides because they're handcuffed together. So there's a little physical comedy there. Once they identify which one is Rockford, um, the main guy offers them a choice. They can go to the bus stop and take the next bus or he can shoot them right there. They seem a little surprised that they're dealing with federal agents. Yes, but there are like four of them and they have guns. And and then what follows <laughs> seems like a racist joke I don't get. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing about who sits where in the car right. that they're arguing over. And there's more of them than there needed to be and could possibly fit Rockford in that car. There's like four guys outside and then they go and they start trying to arrange in the small car and there's still mm-hmm. guys in the car. So I think it is supposed to be a comedic bit yeah. of like, oh, look at all these Latinos in a small car, which seems like a weird stereotype, but okay. Because it's not like it's a lowrider or something. A that's clown stereotype. It's like a clown car. Yeah. And maybe that's just what they were trying to do as a clown car thing. But I was like a little like a little on edge. So on the one hand, I'm like, OK, so now there's there, there's some other party involved. Right. Right. And then it turns out that there is a reason why these guys do this. But it kind of just disappears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the bit with the car is the main guy who has his gun on Rockford. He's the boss. So he's the mm-hmm. one who's yelling at them uh, to, you know, at who to go where and, and whatnot. And so his attention is distracted. And so and Jim sees that the car key is still in the FBI car. Mm-hmm. He is able to find a perfect moment when everyone's attention is away from him that he can dive into the car and make his escape. Good old Jim. Good old Jim. When we never see those guys again. Very true. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I understand having seen the entire episode. I'm like, oh, OK, I get what's happening here somewhat. <laughs> but uh, in that moment, I was like, I, I, I don't mind being like, I don't know what's happening because I trust in the yeah. Rockford Files in, in telling me what, what what's going to happen or whatever. But I definitely had this like, is this funny business supposed to be telling me something or is it just supposed to be a gag or you know what what what's going on here yeah and there's not really anything else to it um we cut to jess uh she's walking around um and we see the camera is showing us a guy clearly following her she crosses the street this guy's following her gets closer and closer and then reaches out to grab her purse and then jim just flies in from off camera yes (laughs) for the save (laughs) It's just him being intimidating, too. Like, he just puts his hands on the guy and is like, 
you must not understand personal property or something like right. that. And the guy stumbles away. I feel like there was a like a real like cut cut here. I think maybe this was like a commercial, like a mid. Right. You know, because it's a, in a two hour time slot, right? So, mm-hmm. but it's a movie slot. So I think they probably break at the hour. I don't know. I don't know how 90s TV works. <laughs> but I feel like that was like end of an act. This is the start of the next act. If you're yeah. just tuning in, here's this little exciting moment where Jim comes in, right? Here's some action you can enjoy. He's He called her and asked her to meet him there. Would you care for a taquito? Mm. <laughs> I knew you'd like this scene. It's the 90s. We've we've gone modern. It's not a taco stand. It's a taquito stand. Yes. I don't know if, if, if taquitos are still popular uh, outside of the Southwest or West Coast. Are you familiar with the taquito? It's like a deep fried. It's like you're, the filling is, is rolled up like a... Like, it's like in a straw of... So the tortilla is on the outside and you roll it all up and it's like a thick straw and then yeah it's fried i I feel like this was the you know this is on trend in in la the taquito stand so jim gets two taquitos so there's this ongoing joke in this episode about how little he sleep and food he gets right he's been basically moving ever since the cops bust down his door at 3 a.m he says he hasn't eaten for two days except for 10 gallons of coffee yeah he's something to like soak up all the acid in his stomach right and then he orders two taquitos two taquitos well he asks her if she would care for one and then he orders two for himself yeah and this is where uh, uh, Jess says that uh, Rocky never understood why you wanted to be a PI yes. like with all this like dangerous stuff. And here and his line is, well, this isn't my standard work day. Yeah. <laughs> so he asked her to bring a rental car because he needs to ditch this FBI car. But she didn't. She brought her own car. And he's like, Ugh. the whole point was, right. you know, get a car that, you know, you wouldn't be involved with. But she wants to be involved. He's being chased by cops, the FBI, a cast of thousands Yes, it's a great line. And uh, she points out that where else is he going to go? She can, you know, she's the only person he can turn to right now. Mm, but she's not. One of two. Yes. <laughs> uh, in in this cut, they track down, they get the info and track down Jim's favorite desperation move. Our good friend, Angel Martin. Angel is in very little of this episode. Uh, and as always, Stuart and Jim make absolutely the most of it right like they they eat up everything they possibly can in this scene together um it should be no surprise to our listeners if you listen to any episode that has angel (laughs) in it i love this next scene so he's in this beautiful huge mission style house yeah uh, and jim you know knocks on the door he says this is a step up for him his last place had cardboard walls angel answers in his fancy robe with these like big like silk like dragons on the lapels. So good. So good. He immediately wants to know who sold him out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he doesn't want Jim there. He's hot. He has an APB is out on him. And Angel doesn't want to get pulled into it. But Jim strong arms his way in to find the TV so that he can turn it on and see the actual bulletin. This is their whole dynamic in like 30 yeah. seconds, right? Angel wants him to leave. He's he's going to ruin this for him. Jim grabs him by the lapel and like threatens him with physical force. <laughs> and also it, you get a glimpse of Angel's, you know, it's the Rashomon of <laughs> Rockford Files. Like you get a little glimpse of how Angel sees their relationship. Every time I get something good going, you show up. You're like some giant cat who's all the time leaving dead rats on my doorstep. What am I supposed to say? Thank you? What do you think I can't come up with enough dead rats on my own? What the hell are you talking about? You're hot, man. You got that wanted smell. 
what do you think? I can't come up with enough dead rats of my own. <laughs> Just this idea that that Jimbo is the stray, mm-hmm. and that uh, Angel uh, is always helping him out. Is oh, it's exactly how you'd expect Angel to think of their relationship, right? Like that's oh, it's so good. They uh, do turn on the TV in time to catch the latest bulletin, which is indeed the, an APB out for Jim. Oh, yeah. They say he's wanted for the murder of this other PI. And then they show a televised statement from Captain Chapman, which is uh, where he's brandishing the, the like the mugshot of Jim. Yeah. If you see <laughs> this man, he's very dangerous. And Jim, of course, thinks it's a, that's a terrible picture of him. Now that they've seen that that's all over the news, uh, Jim doesn't know what to do next. Mm. There's another line in there that, that I don't remember exactly when it happened, but it's another beautiful Angel line that I, we can't go unmentioned. <laughs> Trying to get Jim out, Angel says, don't make me call the cops. I don't want to do that. It's not like there's a reward for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. Well, and Jess says, why do you want help from him? You heard that he'll sell you out for a reward. Yeah, Like exactly. Jess doesn't understand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that there's more here. Jess and Jim uh, go out to the the kind of like a garden they're overlooking the water it's very nice jim he just doesn't know what's going on right every time he thinks he has a handle on it it morphs into something new uh and kind of in here i feel like we have the most like resigned facial expression like for the only yeah. time in this whole movie we see jim looking like like he just is ready to give up i don't know what to do i don't know how to fix this they are kind of interrupted from going down that path by Angel coming out. He wants to hustle them out of there. They have to move it. The caterers are coming. <laughs> Nothing important. Just pigs in a blanket. Jim is like, just let us stay somewhere in a room or a garage until we can leave tonight. Uh, and he says, I'll owe you. Right. Wouldn't that make a change? Angel asks, why me? And Jim says, because deep down, I know you're really a nice person. <laughs> And it's so uh, sincere, seems so heartfelt. Angel gives in. He's like, okay, fine. And as he turns, I think we see Jim give Jess this look like, yeah. got him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so for once, Jim leverages the fact that Angel does actually consider him a friend yes. to get him to do something that he wants. And I think it's a moment that does, it's not a huge deal, but it really pops out as someone, as someone who's watched their dynamic very yeah. closely. Like, that's definitely a total character-based expression to add a little bit more to that interaction. It's delightful. Uh, There's a line about how uh, Angel's living like Donald Trump. It is so prescient. And Angel says it's a great, it's it's great. It's a Mr. and Mrs. You Can Go to Hell situation. Or Mr. You Can Go to Hell wants me to stay in the house so that Mrs. You Can Go to Hell doesn't come and take the family silver and make off with any of his stuff. Ah, so good. So he takes him down to the wine cellar and he's just pulling out bottles of wine to for the caterers to uh, provide. And uh, Jim and Jess are like looking at them and they're these extremely expensive <laughs> bottles of wine. <laughs> There's eight, yeah. $900,000 bottles of wine. But Angel doesn't want to be told what to do. He, If he wants to drink it, who's, yeah. to, uh, you know, who's to tell him otherwise? And after he goes back upstairs with his armful of very expensive wine, Jim says, you have no idea the damage Angel can do without even trying. <laughs> yes. So in this wine cellar, we get the classic, let's talk through what's happening to, yes. <laughs> to uh, explain things to the audience and decide our next move. This uh, Linda person obviously conned Jim into this gig that he otherwise would never go near. She could she could have even been the one who called 911 on us. 
deaths in the car. Good hunch. Uh, he has a gut feeling that there's something weird about Gustavo's record company, which is called Felicidad Records. There's a huge framed picture of Reagan in the bathroom. <laughs> which is my favorite detail yeah it's just you see that you're like what's going on here who who's um and there's the satellite photos of something that was in like a rainforest or something seems weird so then there seems to be a lot of latins involved the record company gustavo the guys who came and you know tried to kidnap him the murder of bud is the sour note in all of this and bud clearly had some information that the feds wanted so why were they in touch with him so okay if you think about it as bud is the target and i'm just being framed for it it all comes together right it's not about rockford it was easy to find out if that they had a history together, and he was the perfect, the perfect Patsy. Angel pops back in with a six for the road and kicks him out. And it's six pigs in a blanket and a Ziploc bag. This whole movie is filled with wonderful tiny little details. Like, for instance, Dennis Becker telling us that uh, bees can die of loneliness, right? <laughs> uh, this, this is so Angel. Wants about as soon as possible but is still, like, kind enough to send him out with <laughs> catered pigs in a blanket and a Ziploc baggie. It just looks like a mush. <laughs> There's some argument I've, I, I do, like, our listeners can uh, maybe perhaps vote on what they think a pigs in a blanket is. Mm-hmm. My, uh, growing up where I was, pigs in a blanket were um, pancakes wrapped around breakfast sausage. Mm. It wasn't really a thing in my family growing up, but in my wife's family, pigs in a blanket are a Thanksgiving staple, and they are basically Vienna sausages in like a like a Pillsbury puff pastry. Yes. Let's talk about this motif here, because the taquitos. Mm. Also, little rolled up uh, street food, finger food. You might say that this is meat being framed in mm. some way. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> uh, well, my favorite detail of this is as they uh, scuttle away down the, the uh, driveway under the scuttle, under the cover of darkness. Jim is munching yes. on, on, on the weenies directly out of the bag. Because he only bought two taquitos. <laughs> and, he's... Uh, and so he's like, yeah, I got popped into this frame to take the fall. This And, and he goes through how all of the elements are very precise. Uh, he's been thinking that this is something personal, but he could be anybody. It's not about him. He yeah. just fits in. All the security footage being exactly what it needs to be. The gun being gone and then showing back up. Uh, all of these things indicate some kind of very like professional, uh, precise frame framework. Jess wants to know, you know, she's like, we can't take my car. And it's like, oh, I'll just hotwire one. When you're in as much trouble as I am, it's really kind of liberating. Yes. <laughs> and then we have just a quick shot where we see him driving whatever car he hotwired. We see that Jess is following him, right? Yeah. She's following him. Right. And then there's a there's like a roadside cop that pulls yeah. out and pulls him over. Presumably that recognized him through the window or something, right? He's been on the run. He's hidden out. Angel has helped hide him for long enough for him to get a handle on what's happening. You know, to, th- to sit and breathe and to think it through. Mm-hmm. Fueled him up with some pigs in a blanket. Right. He stole a car. And then it's over. We got you now. Structurally, what's important here is that it, it puts Jess and Jim in different cars. Yes. Right? And I that's kind of important for something that happens in a couple scenes. Um, we cut from Jim's resigned face with the flashing lights behind him to Chapman saying, You know how lucky you are. <laughs> 
Uh, he could have been shot. Uh, yeah. When uh, APV's out for such a violent criminal. Uh, Becker is escorting Beth uh, back to the police station. There's some hay made of Chap- Chapman being like, why are you here? It's like, well, I was just es- escorting this. No, you're coming to see your friend. Uh, <laughs> don't try anything or it's going to be your career in law enforcement. Um, so Chapman's bringing the hammer down. Jim's in the like walking shackles he has like handcuffs and then he has like foot restraints and then like the chain between the two because i guess because he's a you know an escape risk or whatever uh it's an interesting visual beth is in a very fancy dress because she was in fact hosting a dinner party i was at a dinner party actually i was the hostess i had to walk out on my husband and all my guests i used to eat dinner all the time what'd you serve give me the menu start with the hors d'oeuvres the the part of that line that I love is when he goes, I used to eat dinner all the time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> They're filing his personal effects, uh, which is uh, introduced to us by the cop counting out exactly $12.37. We're here uh, as his bookkeeper. I don't know how much money he was paid to start off on this false, mm. but he got it up front, right? Technically, he's got that money. I bet it went all to pay bills right away. Right. <laughs> because he only bought two taquitos. So, yeah, that's where uh, that's where we're at now, Jim. Jim's at $12.37. But then before uh, this can conclude, Deal appears and says to cut him loose. And everyone is shocked, especially Chapman. Um, he says that they have a witness that gives Jim an alibi for the time of the murder. Mm-hmm. Jess has come in to make a statement. Uh, she was waiting for him at his trailer. He got there at 1045. She knows because she was waiting and checked her watch because they established the time of death of uh, yeah. Bud at 1030. There's no way he could have gotten from downtown to his trailer in 15 minutes, right? Not even the way he drives <laughs> is Deal's comment, I think. I, I really like this. We have a private conversation between Chapman and Deal. Yeah. Chapman doesn't want to let him go. Title card. Chapman v. Deal. Because <laughs> Chapman's like, I finally got him, right? Yeah. Like, right. finally, I can put this guy away. And Deal's like, uh, with this alibi, it's circumstantial evidence. It is credible that he's being framed, which mm-hmm. I kind of like. Like, he's, you know, he is listening to things that Jim is saying. He's like, yeah, that yeah. is a credible explanation at this point, given what we know. And and Chapman's like, well, I can stick him with, you know, Grand Theft Auto and resisting arrest. And he's like, if you do that, that's going to push him into doing this lawsuit. The court is going to see it as a cop vendetta, Chapman. <laughs> and, the, and the department doesn't need that kind of publicity right now. So we're going to cut him loose. It's fun seeing them interact and like I kind of like seeing that institutional like yes deals in this position where he has a larger focus and he gets to be the like backstop of rationality. Deal can see that Chapman has an axe to grind. Right. Deal can see that Dennis is Jim's friend. And so Deal isn't trusting either one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get that. And I think Chapman gets that. Yeah. Uh, Jim walks Beth back to her car. I noticed because you've pointed it out in the past how he yeah. he has his uh his hand on her upper arm that's his thing he says that he wants her to bill him and she says i will yeah so and now we get this whole like this conversation is the jim beth dynamic <laughs> yeah kind of brought back to life for our modern viewer jim and beth have a complicated relationship earlier on in this episode i don't think we actually quoted this but there was a moment when they first see each other 
and you know they're they're making fun of each other's hair and she says that you haven't you know i haven't heard from you in uh four years or whatever and he admits he says you have a right to be sore Hmm. Uh, yeah i've done bad and this scene here we get to the heart of why that hasn't happened Mm -hmm. but we do it in kind of a classic jim beth way where it i don't know it's hard to describe but Obviously, watch the scene. (laughs) Right. Like, I think you can see that they do care for each other, but they have hurt each other. Yeah. Right? And those are kind of scabs that have to get pulled away before they can reconcile. Yeah. And that kind of all happens in this scene, which sounds like a lot, but because they're so familiar with each other, because they have such good chemistry, I think a lot of that is communicated through body language and, you know, tone of voice and stuff like that. Um, Narrative-wise, we start off this conversation with Beth asking if Jess is going to be somebody serious because she's Jim's type. Yeah. Um, (laughs) She's not wrong. No, not at all. (laughs) And Jim... Uh, admits that he could have called any attorney, but he wanted an excuse to call Beth. Yeah. And that's why he called her for this, which feels a little out of the blue, but also whatever, let's do this now. You know, like that's right. that's what yeah, we're yeah. doing in this movie. That's fine. He says that he wants Beth back in his life, um, but she obviously is still sore as you said as he said yeah because he just dropped out right he just never yeah. called her and and she says i only wrote that book because you pushed me into it right like because you told me I, I it was something i should do and then i gave you a copy and you didn't even call me to tell tell me what you thought and he didn't call her Wait, before we go into this when she says i gave you a copy and you didn't call and tell me as someone who creates things for a living mm-hmm. and has many colleagues who create things for a living, who has received probably advanced copies of things or what have you, did you know exactly what was going to happen next? Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I did. <laughs> right. Because he didn't call her because he didn't like the book. Yep. I wrote in my notes, holy sh**. Jim doesn't like the book. And I wrote that just before he said it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that he comes out with it and I love her reaction to it. Yeah. And he didn't call because he didn't want to hurt her feelings. Yes. Because he's not going to lie to her. Right. But he knows that that would be something she didn't want to hear. Uh, and so she has this great facial expression where you can see that she didn't want to hear that. Yeah. But that, but she kind of laughs and says, that's stupid, but it's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, you can see how that's a bad idea, but you can also see, like, I I suspect it's not that he set out to avoid her for four years because of the book. Right. I suspect it's, I don't like the book. I shouldn't put myself in the spot where... I'm not going to call and be like, so I read your book. Yeah, exactly. And then that just kind of stacks on itself. And, you know, it's... And I haven't been in this exact situation, (laughs) but I've been in similar situations. And I, I get... All of the feelings going. I've been on both sides of mm-hmm. this situation. I should I should definitely point out, and I get all of the feelings that are going on here. And I I really like both the honesty that came from Jim, and then her way of dealing with it. They're both very like, mm. God, I wish I could be that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I wish I could be this moment. Hearing that, acknowledging that, yeah, that's not really what she wanted to hear, but she recognizes why he didn't, in not wanting to hurt her feelings, that that is something yeah. positive from him uh, in that weird way, right? They have a chaste little kiss that seems to be like things are forgiven, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and it's a very sweet moment. Yeah, I, I really dug that scene. So that uh, kind of reconciles 
Beth back into the greater Rockford universe, I think, <laughs> also. Well, yeah, welcome back, Beth. <laughs> so in our next scene, uh, Jim goes to find Jess and says, like, well, it's over now. I'm not going to be arrested. They can't prove anything. And yeah. he doesn't care who killed Bud. <laughs> <laughs> might be cold, but that's how he feels. But Jess says, and I felt like this was obvious, but perhaps this is just obvious to us as an audience. She says that if this ends up in court, uh, she can't testify under oath because she wasn't there waiting for She didn't check her watch. She wasn't yeah. there waiting for him. She wasn't even there at all. She was lying to give him an alibi. You lied. <laughs> it wasn't entirely clear. The alibi bit, I didn't catch it until this part that she specifically left instead of, said that she left instead of seeing him. Right, because he got back so late. I guess I didn't get the idea that Rockford thought she was doing anything other than lying, I, is what it was. When I was watching it, I was like, "What?" but you... Yeah, you knew she wasn't there, right? But yeah, so he's still on the hook because she can't give him an alibi under oath. So he's like, all right, well, let's go see if we can find out anything at Bud's place. Uh, this is another little bit where he's like, well, I'm going to have to pick some locks. You might have to stay. You might want to stay here. And she's like, no, I'm coming with you. <laughs> yes. No plausible deniability for Jess. Especially, uh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> he picks the lock, they go in. Uh, there's a very industrial loft space with this like caged area that's the office. They go in and there's like a jump scare where he turns on the, the lights and there's all <laughs> these pinned bugs, like these huge cases uh, full of all these giant, they look like like they're, they're rubber prop yeah. bugs, right? Like they're enormous. It's a little bit, uh, Jess gets freaked out and Jim gets to have a line of, you know, he, he loved bugs in all of their forms. There's something about this that is very Rockford Files is because mm. Bud's not a big character. He's the body. Right. Like and generally speaking, the body is not always the unless you're like trying to figure out how everyone relates to the body. But that's not what's happening in this episode. Um, so he is just a big, dumb lug of a private eye. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he has this hobby of collecting bugs just gives you a whole new dimension. Mm -hmm. and, and then you think, well, yeah, if he uses electronic surveillance all the time, he's not dumb. Like this isn't a dumb guy. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Like that's I, again, I, I always say, but the Rockford Files just—they always have very real characters by giving them these traits that are just like, yeah, a, a real human being wouldn't just fit into this slot. Right. Um, yeah. So he's rifling around looking for the appointment book. He can't find it, but there's a computer. Jess is like, oh, maybe it's in the computer. And Jim's like, you know how to use one of those? <laughs> it's like, ah, all right. G Grandpa Jim, who doesn't yeah. doesn't understand computers, which came up in the last movie. Yeah. Oh, no. He used a computer in, in like Angel's like yeah. temple or whatever. He guessed Angel's password. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the mid-90s. Computers aren't mm. quite ubiquitous yet. But as Jess says, I'm IRS. I do this all yes. the time. So she pulls <laughs> up this very uh, straightforward uh, uh, set of windows so you can see all the very clearly labeled uh, files. Pulls up a calendar. There's nothing there. It's been deleted, but she can, <laughs> she can recover the deleted files yes. because of her IRS pro skills. And so we have a little loading bar of restoring deleted files and what's great about this is that here's a woman who would probably have to know this stuff or something along these lines for her job she does audits 
But uh, she's an older woman, and uh, this show in the 1990s didn't know that they had to make her uh, somebody with the mentality of a teenage boy with, you know, Coke bottle glasses and and uh, never seen a woman, right? Like, right. They, they're not falling to the stereotype because it would make sense for her to, to know this, uh, even if the interface is a television <laughs> computer interface. Uh, sure enough, Bud has an appointment scheduled for tomorrow with a senator oh yes <laughs> now we're getting into the surprise revelation in the last 10 minutes of the episode to yeah wrap every you know to to kind of pull everything together into what has been happening the whole time they missed a rockford files bit in this there he's like well let's keep that appointment now bud is dead right and it's made the news how are they going to get a senator to go to lunch with him Right. Like, right. I understand. I, I totally 100 percent believe that Rockford can do it. Mm-hmm. I just want to see Rockford do it. Right. This is his thing. Right. We haven't had a con yet this episode. And well, and we when we go to it, I feel like the implication here is that it's all on the level. Like they just called and were like, hey, we're investigating the murder of Bud. Right. Can we talk to you? And he's yeah. like, I already have the appointment on my calendar. Sure. Or whatever. <laughs> this is a, a, a bit of a missed opportunity to just see that like phone call to a secretary where right. to impersonate someone. Exactly. Where, where he pretends to be Chapman or something, right? To like make sure that the appointment still goes, but whatever, it's fine. I mean, it's only because I have that spot missing on my bingo card right now. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jim and Jess go to this meeting and this is very much a <laughs> click, click on NPC to get info yes. as well. <laughs> They ask the senator, uh, or they, he asks them about their association with Bud. Jim's like, well, I'm also a PI, and I'm not really friends, and yeah. I didn't really know him. They were in a profession of mutual interest, which is yes. not very compelling. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke, but yeah. I was expecting this to be a con, so yeah. that kind of threw me. Like, oh, they're just talking about it. Okay. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I was like, okay, all right. What's the twist here? But there's none. The senator doesn't see how the IRS comes into this picture because CIA funds are, you know, separated from congressional something, something, something. Yeah. Uh, They're like, CIA? Yes. He's not like, oh, you don't know what I'm talking about. He's like, no, no, I'll tell you more. Yes. (laughs) Speaking of bingo cards, I was like, CIA, that's all of them. We got them. We have the (laughs) FBI. We have LAPD. We have the IRS, and now we have the CIA. Right. We're, <laughs> like, we're just missing the mob. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but because the senator was elected on a platform of fiscal responsibility, yes. he uh, he hired Bud to look into this Felicidad Records uh, because it was a CIA front that never got shut down. And so it's actually using government funding to be a record label. Uh, it's an unnecessary public expenditure, and Bud was investigating to give him the enough information info so he could pull the plug jim ends the scene by saying uh i thought this was really complicated but it's actually very simple it's the american dream there's a weird argument about that immediately following (laughs) that right so the next scene uh jim is explaining to jess that there's nothing sinister about the dream or having the good life but it's what people will do to get it and what they'll do to keep it that's where they go wrong older jim rockford reagan republican yeah (laughs) Probably wouldn't identify personally, but uh, that argument is, I don't know, it's, it's stuck out to yeah. me. 
And then Jim basically jumps Dennis out of nowhere. It's then unclear where they are, and it becomes clear in a second. But yeah. Jim just like grabs Dennis and pulls him aside. Yeah. <laughs> um, he wants to make sure he knows what to do. And Dennis has a, has a good line. Are you sure you know what you're going to do? Not really. In situations where I could lose both pension and credibility, I'm more into improv. <laughs> Jim sends him on his way, and uh, we see that he's going into Felicidad Records. Uh, Becker has called everyone that works there, including Gustavo, into a room because he's saying that our case against Jim Rockford has fallen apart. So we need to continue this investigation from, from you know, first steps. I need to talk to everyone. We're back to square one. Don't worry. My people are going to stay, are going to man the doors and make sure that right. no, no one comes in or out while all of your people are in this room talking to me. And that is the con. And that's the con. <laughs> and then he gives a significant nod out the door as he closes it so that Jim sees that he's clear to go poke around. Um, Jim's ruffling through papers. He knocks a chair into a wall, which opens a hidden door in that wall. <laughs> yeah, my note is secret door. Uh, that's where all the security camera feeds are, so we can see them all on the monitors. But then there's another door at the back. He goes through that. Secret doors! <laughs> and that's where the big room of CIA is yes it's like a star trek original series level yeah. <laughs> like lots of blinking lights on consoles uh all over the place and a big map a big world map with with lights in it so that's how you know it's cia if only he had an irs agent with him to interpret what was going on if only but he keeps poking around and he finds like a like a power cable or something and he opens a vent and he sees that there's a recording there's a whole little recording setup that's been hidden in this vent and he smiles as clearly this is probably this must have been something left behind by bud um all right when we get into our our finale we uh, cut from there to Dennis directing cops to cover all the exits. But Jim just wants five minutes. Yeah. They lost and I want to rub their noses in it. And Dennis is like, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, why not? Yeah. It's illegal, but sure. Um, finally calling back. Uh, it's, it's the lunch at Rex's. This is where yes. Gustavo and his and his cronies are having lunch. Jim walks in, drops down into the empty seat, tells him it's a dumb idea to have the regular lunch when so many people want to take down a rogue CIA operation. <laughs> and he lays out all these things. So Gustavo like denies each thing. Yeah. You fell in love with your front. That's your that's your problem. You uh just wanted an excuse to keep going to South America and make money off of records. I was trying to get a read on particularly his assistant. Mm -hmm. If they knew if she was in on it i think she must have been there's the third guy who i think was like the yeah. writer that he was yelling at but the secretary she because she's just kind of staring at rockford but then when he says something in particular she looks at gustavo kind of like and i read it as like a he actually knows yeah look but maybe i don't know there's not a there's not a lot of information about yeah her. it's hard to tell if it's if it's that or if it's what is this all about look well he says uh you know it wasn't anything personal you're you just you're just a bunch of amoral thugs <laughs> you found me in the paper because of the you know the fight that he had with bud so i was mm -hmm. the perfect person to frame for his murder and he does have a line it's like and you're the one who sent all the like who sent all the latinos after me yeah or something like that just like a, a passing line to loop that back in yeah, to let us know that that happened. Right. Then he says, the rumor is the cops found a secret stash of Bud's tapes. And on those tapes, we can they can hear you plotting his murder and my frame. Have a nice lunch. 
So we can rest assured that justice will be served. Yes. Served cold with a side of slaw. And we finished our movie back at Paradise Cove. Uh, Jess is arriving at the trailer with a present for Jim, who is coming in from fishing. Uh, I think we mentioned this. So when Jess was first introduced, she was saying that she bought a cuckoo clock for Rocky. Yes. I don't know if we mentioned this, but yeah. Because she was she was in Europe and she bought a cuckoo clock, but she never yeah. could give it to him because he died before she came back, right? Yeah. Uh, so Jim, Jim is now receiving this cuckoo clock gift that was originally intended for Rocky. It's very sweet. Uh, Jess knows that Jim wants to know what was, you know, what it was between her and Rocky. And Jim's like, no, no, no. But clearly he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she kind of lays out in... Uh, a little bit of her story. You know, she's coming off of a bad relationship. She was she was really hurting. She was in a lot of pain. Uh, he was so he was really nice to her in having such a positive relationship that like healed her. Like that's how she got over it yeah. and got better. He was the grandfather that she never knew. He was the father that she had lost when she was a kid. He was a best friend. Like that was the relationship. At no point in this episode was I having the exact fears that Jim was having. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I I just, I was like, no, no, until she started drawing this line, (laughs) which she said, the grandfather, the father, the best friend. I was like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) like, where does this light end? Uh, but it's there. Best friend. I think what she's trying, because earlier in the episode, Jim had a thing. Maybe it was with Beth or maybe it was with Becker. If you were friends with someone, right. you describe that as a relationship or as a friendship. Oh, and that's what leads into Beth being like, she's your type. Um, yeah. So because she described it as a relationship with Rocky and that's what th- yeah. has been throwing Jim on. <laughs> and so I think this is kind of filling that out as they weren't just friends. Yeah. They had a very close relationship in a familial sense and that Rocky like made her feel like she was part of your family. Uh, but that Jim was always the center of Rocky's universe. Yeah. Right. So she affirms Jim's, you know, whatever his, uh, uh, not inadequacy, but whatever his like concerns were concern. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like, I think it's legit that Jim had some concerns based on the first part uh, of this episode where they have this discussion about uh, her relationship with him when we don't wonder whether or not she's been sleeping with Rocky. <laughs> right. And so that's a callback to that. But it because there are these two questions about her relationship with it, the more blatant one, whether or not she's sleeping with Rocky, and then the other one is like, uh, did Rocky prefer her company to Jim's? Mm-hmm. Again, like it's not one that I thought was in question after having seen the whole television series you know like <laughs> right it's clear that uh rocky's day begins and ends with jim you know like there's there's all that it's interesting that she has to so we, we end it with her putting him at ease about that and right. then his response is a i think is supposed to be really nice and tender but could read as vaguely petty because <laughs> so she says uh, you were always the center of his universe and he responds, well, I feel like you were a close second. <laughs> yeah. like I think that is supposed to be sweet. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, I can't help but say you didn't even really know much about her until right. this whole thing started. But that's mm-hmm. fine. Whatever. I think that uh, I am being too picky about this specific moment in an episode that I dearly enjoyed, like, throughout. 
and then and that's the last line and we yeah. end with the uh we end with the freeze frame of them smiling at each other framed against yes. the the sea uh out uh, out in paradise cove it's a smile i like it when they end on a smile i'm glad that it ended on a smile and not a kiss yeah no <laughs> i that guess that's really that's, weird yeah <laughs> um it's a little weird so uh, i mean as a uh, as looking at the arc of you know Jim Rockford as a character reconciling the picture that he had of his father with this new information he's learning about his father. That all makes sense. That narrative arc is totally fine. I don't have a problem with how it all plays out. Talking through this scene again, it stuck out as a little weird to me because I started thinking of it as uh, now we now we see the woman assuage the man's fears about his emotions. Yes. And it's not seeing Jim come to terms with his emotions. Yeah. I don't know if this would stand out to anyone at the time uh, in terms of how we frame masculine emotions. I think this could be treated better in other, you know, in in other pieces of media. This is not a huge criticism of this episode. It was just like, oh, this is just the default for this kind of conversation. And I'm noticing that kind of thing more now than I probably would have, you know, at the time. And it only really stands out because it's where they end. Yeah. And then we're done. Everyone's smiling. We're back. But all in all, I would say that, like, I I think I said it at the beginning, this felt so much like a a really solid Rockford Files episode. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It was fun that it went over the top for Rockford, getting the FBI and the CIA. I don't want to say it went gonzo or anything like that, but it just, you know, it's an hour no, it's more than an hour, right? So yeah, it's a two-hour time slot. I think the running time's like one forty or something. Yeah, so you know, you you want something a little more. You want something a little more exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I feel like there's stuff that could be trimmed to bring this down to a hour Rockford episode and have it be the same level of fun investigation character stuff. Like maybe. Could probably pull out the uh, getting run off the road by the Latin gang scene yeah. like that. Like narratively, that doesn't really do a whole lot. Maybe combine all the angel stuff into one scene instead of breaking it into like two kind of connected scenes like that kind of stuff where it could just trim some things around the edges. But it, it has that same sense of forward momentum and yeah. uh, that same kind of rhythm as a Rockford episode and. I feel like in at least one of the previous movies, maybe the first one, or no, I think the second one in particular, uh, where Angel is is impersonating the, uh, or not impersonating, but has has this con about the, yeah. being a religious revivalist guy, uh, like a, a TV preacher guy. That felt like a, a an hour-long episode that kind of got stretched to fill two-hour slot, mm-hmm. um, while this feels like a Rockford plot that has been implemented in a two-hour slot. Or could be implemented in a one-hour slot. Yeah, that's all just a long-winded way of saying yes. I agree. It feels like a, <laughs> it feels like a good Rockford episode, but longer. So there's even more. <laughs> well, speaking of length, we have uh, gone on long enough, I'm sure. Do you have any final thoughts on the third TV movie, If the Frame Fits? Dot dot dot. Uh, I will say that I am enjoying the the trajectory here. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the fourth one now. Um, not that I wasn't looking forward to these before, but like now, now it feels a little bit more like I got to hold off until <laughs> we're going to do it. Right. Yeah. Like I can't just jump on the, 
throw that DVD back in and 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 uh, watch the next one. Uh, yeah, this has been uh, a delight. Yeah, I've I really enjoyed it as well. Same same thought. Uh, hopefully they just keep getting better and better. Um, and just a quick uh, thank you to all of our listeners and patrons. Uh, all but one. What? Which one? I don't know. I'll let them figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> You know, we, we do these at kind of milestone episodes and 50 episodes is pretty who knew. right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've we've done this little dance where we're like, we didn't expect it to go this long for since probably the 10th episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, now it's like, all right, now we're committed. Right. Now we have to go through the whole thing. Yeah. I, I feel that it's completely fair to compare this to Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and the tragedy that it was left incomplete. Or um uh oh now I'm gonna blank on the the Coolridge's uh Kubla Khan poem that he dreamt and woke up and started writing and then someone knocked at his door and he never finished because he couldn't remember the rest of it. Well we are we're certainly the Coolridge of uh podcasts. Yeah. I'm com- <laughs> I'm comfortable taking that title on. <laughs> yeah, so uh Thanks to all of our listeners, and as I said, our, our patrons in particular. Uh, your financial support really helps us out. And if you want to join them, head yourself on over to patreon.com slash 200 a day. I'm ready to go find myself some uh, some, some taquitos now yes. that they've been brought back to my attention. I'm going to have some pigs in a blanket. Enjoy. <laughs> Get some veggie, veggie sausages in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're ready to get the street foods of choice from this episode. Uh, but we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockford Files. Boing, boing. Boing, boing, boing.